All right, well, good morning, everybody. Happy 4th of July weekend. My apologies that we don't have our music team is not here today, and uh, several people from our church are out of town. So we're just going to jump straight into our topic here for today, because even though the music team isn't here and several people are out of town this weekend, you're here and I'm here. So we actually have a very important, fun topic we're going to talk about here today, which so we here, 4th of July, celebrate our country, best country in the whole wide world, and we thank God for all the things, because even though it's not a perfect country, it is a great country and it's our home. And if you look across our country these days, there's one topic which is discussed about at great length this, this, this time of day, or this time of year, I should say, based on what's going on in the world today, and that's a topic about marriage. So what I wanted to do here today on this holiday weekend is I wanted to discuss this topic because we are hearing a lot about it. And I want to start off by saying I am not making any political statements today at all or talking about anything in the news other than the truth about what we believe. I shouldn't say what we believe. What we, what we know is the truth about this thing called marriage. Because one of the things that I've actually been, with all this situation that's going on with the Supreme Court and the same-sex marriage and this ruling and these people hate these people and these people hate these people even more and all this stuff, I've actually noticed a good thing that has come out of all this is the topic of marriage has been discussed more and more than I've ever remember it happening in our country, which I think is a good thing. Because even though a lot of the attention or a lot of the discussion may be coming from here or coming from here, it's an opportunity for us to speak about what we believe marriage is because people don't change their opinion from statements. People change their opinion from conversations. So that's the goal here. I don't believe in making statements. I don't believe that to the smart people. I believe in having discussions and conversations. So I would like us to engage in a little conversation right here about marriage. And we'll try to answer some of these questions. Which you hear a lot these days, you hear a lot of people making up funny answers to what is marriage? Where did it come from? What's its purpose? The, the general trend in society, again, I'm not talking about Supreme Court from last week. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about the general trend in society over the past decade, two decades, three decades, has been a gradual downward slope on the view of marriage. I think you all agree with me on that statement. That today as a society, we view marriage in probably the lowest state that it's ever been viewed in this country. And the trend is that it continues to go worse. Marriage today, if you go out on the streets and you start to ask people, you'll find people who tell you marriage is old-fashioned. Like marriage is one of those things like our grandparents did, but marriage is like black and white TV. Like it served its purpose for a time, but now there's newer and cooler things. And now there's better things. And no one really gets married to fall in love and live with a person forever. You live with a person for a little time, and then things change. This is the concept of marriage of like one man, one woman forever. This is antiquated. This is something which is like I said, it might as well be something from the the Jurassic Park era because that's how many people feel about in society today. And again, I am not talking just about gay marriage. I am not talking just about gay same-sex marriage. I'm not talking about that at all because if you look at our society from a long time ago. Marriage has been going downward and downward and downward. But here's the part that judges all of us. We didn't care for so many years as long as the downward slope of marriage didn't affect us. 
For example, I'll give you one very, very, very example, and no one will feel judged by anything I'm going to say. I'm speaking generalities and God's mercy and forgiveness and grace, all that stuff, but truth is truth. Our view towards premarital sex from a long time ago, from a long time ago, we as a society said sex outside of marriage is not a big deal. And nobody protested anything. Okay, so all the protesters today of gay marriage, nobody protested a thing when society said premarital sex is not that big a deal. You know why we didn't protest? Because we enjoyed it, and we benefited from it, and we did it. And that's why we didn't, we didn't protest. And then all of a sudden, divorce. According to the, the teachings of the Bible, divorce should not be something that happens as common as it is. It shouldn't be that 50% of couples get divorced. But you know what? We didn't care. We didn't say anything. Why? Because we wanted to get a divorce. And we weren't happy in our situation. So all of a sudden, divorce is not that big a deal. Then all of a sudden, gay marriage comes along, and we don't want our kids corrupted by the gay marriage kids. So no, we believe what the Bible says is so true. Oh, really? If we go with what the Bible says is so true, how come we kept our mouth shut when divorce? How come we kept our mouth shut when it came to sex outside of marriage? What I'm trying to talk about here today, again, this, has not, this is not a current issue in my opinion at all. It's not a current issue. It's been an issue that's been happening for many, many, many years the decline of marriage in this country, the decline of marriage in our society. We need to return to a God-centered view of what marriage is. What is marriage from God's perspective? If you ask God, God, where did marriage come from? And, if, and most importantly, which we'll get to at the end, is what is the purpose of marriage? And why are we supposed to get married or not get married? What is its role in my life? Statistics will tell you, and I don't have them in front of me, but you can find this stuff, you go look this stuff up. The societies and the civilizations that place the highest value on marriage are the societies and civilizations that are the happiest, are the healthiest, and are the wealthiest of societies. Those that place high value on marriage. It's not just a matter of marital. It's a matter of society is better served. Society is better off when we place a high view on marriage, and that's what we're trying to look at here today is what is marriage. All right, before we get in and start answering these questions, just an assumption I'm going to make right off the base or right off the start, and I think you all will agree with me on this statement. The statement is that all behavior is driven by belief. Do you agree with that statement? All behavior ultimately is driven by belief. And if I want to change my behavior, I cannot do so without changing my belief. For example, September 11, 2001, a group of terrorists got into a plane and they had a belief that if they run this plane into a building, they will be rewarded with, you know, whatever, 40 virgins when they get up to heaven. That was their belief. And they believed it earnestly and sincerely and their behavior came as a result of the, of the belief. So you cannot change that person's behavior without changing that person's belief. If I convince them that, no, hey, actually, if you do this, you'll probably find eternal condemnation, not eternal 40 virgins or whatever, whatever their, their belief says, then that would probably change their belief. Again, I said premarital sex before. We have this belief system that premarital sex is not a big deal. We have this idea that sex outside of marriage isn't that big a deal. It's just like, you know what? We high five, we handshake, we have sex. Not that big a deal. Just like a physical thing. It's not that big a deal. And therefore, our behavior follows suit. And if I wanted to change the behavior, I need to change the belief. And there's too many churches that are trying to change people's behavior without really going to the core belief. I don't think that our society today is more sinful than it's ever been. I believe our society is the exact same as it's always been. It functions based on its beliefs. I believe that our belief system today about marriage 
has strayed further than it ever has before. And that's why the behaviors are so bad. It's not that, the, it's not that we are any weaker than, than generations before us. It's that our belief system and what we believe about marriage, what we're taught about marriage, what we see about marriage in movies and on TV shows and on the radio, that's the problem, our belief system about marriage. And that's what we need to change here. So we're going to see what do we believe about marriage, man's view of marriage, and then we'll see God's view of marriage and see the difference between them. I think you all agree with me on this one. If I were to take a survey of what is marriage for, what is its purpose, what is marriage? Marriage is to make me happy. That's the common belief that people will tell you on the streets. And let's be honest, I'm, I'm being nice here today by saying people on the streets, that's people right here sitting amongst us right here. This is how we grew up. This is the TV shows we watch. This is the songs we listen. This is the movies that we, that we watch ourselves. Is that we have this idea in our mind that marriage is to make me happy. Marriage is all about me. Marriage is to meet my needs. The whole happily ever after thing. Why do we get married? So that we can live happily ever after. Someone sent me an email. Someone who, a close friend of mine, someone like one of us, okay, not someone who's a heathen. Someone sent me an email talking about this whole gay marriage thing. was asking me, saying, you know what, like, okay, I'm with you. I understand gay marriage is wrong, but, like, it seems like, like it's not fair that we ask people. And they started saying, like, it seems like it's too much to ask someone who thinks that they're gay to not get married to someone else who is gay. Like, it seems like it's too much. And this is what this person wrote, quote, in the email. Said it's really hard to tell someone that what they feel is part of their core self is wrong. Say that again. Because we all share this feeling. It's not just this person. This is all of us. It's really hard to tell someone that what they feel is part of their core self is wrong and they need to struggle their whole life against it. I am certain that if I didn't say this email was about gay marriage, if I said this is about regular heterosexual marriage, um, and I'm sure everyone, not every one of us, but I'm sure the majority of us would say, yeah, it makes sense. How can something that feels right be so wrong, right? Like that's what they teach us in the movies. We in this country, we believe that if something feels right, no one can tell you it's wrong. Not only no one can tell you it's wrong, it is unconstitutional to tell you that it's wrong. It is your constitutional right that if anything feels right, you do it. And you don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And we will, it's like the whole Romeo and Juliet thing. You feel this person is, is made for you and it's your soulmate. I don't care what your parents say. I don't care what the government says. I don't care if you die trying. We will celebrate. We'll make a movie out of you. Because what we believe is anything for feelings. The highest authority in this country right now, modern society, is feelings. And no one will admit it. And no one, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that feelings are the most important thing. But that is how we operate on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, if I were to go to the scriptures and see what does the scriptures talk about feelings. A few passages right here. Proverbs 14, verse 12 to 13. says, there are way, there's a way that seems right to a man. You can underline that seems right. You say that feels right. But its end is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may sorrow. Meaning something that you are laughing about today, you may not be laughing about tomorrow. And the end of mirth may be grief. There is a way that seems right, that feels right. Don't let anybody tell you what's wrong. And if you feel like it's right, you fight for it, man. And we'll fight with you. We'll stand by you. There's a way that seems right. But its end is the way of death. 
Another passage, Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. That's about as blunt as you can be in the Bible. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. He who walks wisely will be delivered. It's not he who does what he feels is right is the one who's going to be successful in the end. We're going to be laughing at that person in the end. That person's a fool. It's he who walks wisely. Last passage, Jeremiah 17, 9, famous verse. The heart, meaning the heart tied to the emotions and the feelings, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Watch this verse. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. God doesn't judge us according to the fruit of our feelings. He judges according to the fruit of our doings. And there may be a way that seems right, and there may be a heart that feels like something's right. We don't operate based on feelings. The one who operates based on feelings, that's the one who's going to get himself in trouble. And again, I am not just talking about gay, homosexual, saint. I'm not just talking about that stuff. Please get that out of your mind. Because the truth of the matter is, like I said, I can look at premarital sex and divorce. I can look at easily either one of those two. And it is very, very, let's take divorce, for example. Because I know that one hits home on a lot of people. I talk about divorce, and it is very clear what the scripture teaches about divorce. It is very clear. Yet there is no outcry among Christians about the number of divorces. There's no outcry. Because the bottom line is, if it feels like it's okay, then it's not that big a deal. But if you look in the scripture, I just get, and I'm not condemning anyone here, by the way, who's divorced or whose parents are divorced. I know everyone has circumstances. I'm talking more in a general sense about a principle, okay? But don't, don't let anyone take this in a specific con condemning way. Matthew 5, 32. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. That's plain and clear. There's no interpretation needed for that. The biblical standard on divorce is very simple. Matthew 19, Jesus also said, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, look at how his disciples responded, okay, when he said, no divorce except for sexual immorality. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Do you hear what they're saying? So that's what they're We're struggling with the same thing as they are. They're saying, but Lord, it feels right that I get rid of this when I pick up this one. He says, no, not in my book. There's no such, we don't operate based on feelings. God's law says no divorce. And they said, you know what? If that's the case, I better not to get married. You know what? I'll be honest with you. If I walked out there on the street today and I said, of course, I'm not going to do this because I'm not a crazy person. And I walked out there and said, anybody, divorce is bad. No one's allowed a divorce. And divorce is against God. And divorce is bad. And I said that, people would say, people would say, that's a loony person. Well, you know what? They thought Jesus was loony too. They thought Jesus was crazy too. As you can tell, I get myself a little worked up right here. And the reason why I get myself worked up is one of the things that we can never accept as a church. We can never accept hypocrisy. We can, we can accept a lot of mistakes. We cannot accept hypocrisy. And today, anyone who's listening to this, today the hypocrisy ends. No more hypocrisy. The hypocrisy needs to end. Either what God said about marriage is true and we abide by all of it, or none of it is true. But we will not pick and choose. So if we are going to abide by God's law, then that means singles and, and married too, sex outside of marriage is wrong. And we will abide by God's principle. And I'm not judging anybody. Everyone has their struggles and we work on it, but the principle does not change. We don't water down God's word and say, no, that's not that big a deal. No, gay marriage, that's really bad. But premarital sex is not that big a deal. Divorce, 
is a big deal in God's eyes too. We're not gonna just protest uh, gay marriage and we're not gonna protest divorce. Either we stick by God's rules or we don't stick by God's rules, but we're not gonna pick and choose. And just so, just so I, I make sure I get everybody in this too, because I want everyone to realize the, the, the importance of this. Let's say you say, well, I never had sex before marriage and I didn't divorce my wife. Okay, but God's plan for marriage is a lot bigger than just those two things. And there are many times the scripture tells us that husbands give wives the affection due to them. And I know many husbands who refuse to give their wives the affection due to them. And they say, that's not that big a deal. I ain't cheating on my wife. I ain't do this and I ain't do that. But if we're going with the biblical standard of marriage, husbands give the wives the affection that is due to them. And ladies, that we give the men the honor and respect that is due to them as well. Because that's also what the scripture says. And if the ladies are not giving the men the honor and the men are not giving the ladies the affection and we sit there and protest gay marriage, I protest that marriage. I protest the marriage where I walk into the home and I see a woman who is afraid of her husband. And I see a woman who is afraid to open her mouth in front of her husband because of fear he's gonna go crazy, he's gonna throw something or he's gonna hit her or something like that. I protest that marriage. And I also protest the marriage where the woman knows that she has the man and she has control of him and she denies him the physical intimacy. And she controls him and she manipulates him with that thing. I protest that marriage as well. What is that? That's not the marriage that God, yeah, you may not be divorced and you may not be same-sex marriage, but that's the marriage that God had planned? That's how God designed it? Some marriages you walk in, you feel like you're walking into a war zone, right? Some marriages you walk in, you feel like you're walking into a war zone. And how do we justify that? Well, he's not making me happy. I don't feel happy, so I have a right to do it. She doesn't make me happy. Do I have a right to do whatever I want? We justify whatever we want to make ourselves happy. And then someone who's homosexual does the exact same thing, and we protest. No more hypocrisy. No more hypocrisy. I was reading some research done by a sociologist from the University of Virginia who teamed up with a sociologist from the University of Harvard, Sarah Corse and Jennifer Silva. And they came up with the term, which I like very much. Yeah, I hate it, but I'm saying it's descriptive. They talk about a therapeutic marriage. They say that marriage today, the concept of marriage is a therapeutic marriage. And they defined it this way. They said a therapeutic marriage, this is how people view marriage today, centers on happiness, equality, mutuality, and self-actualization of individuals. Happiness, equality, mutuality, and self-actualization of individuals. And if you find someone who makes you happy, then you marry them. Watch this. If you find a way to be happier, you go for it. And she later on in her, her, her research said this. Said, we don't divorce or have affairs because we're unhappy. We do those things because we think we could be happier. And I agree with that statement. Here I am with my wife and I'm happy. But if I think that lady can make me happier, oh, it's just a matter of time before I find an excuse to get rid of this one. And again, we'll justify it, you know, make up all the stuff. And this husband is making me happy. He's the best. He stopped making me happy. He's the worst. Get rid of him. Because it's all about our happiness. What is that? Is that marriage? Is that marriage? You know what that is? Forgive me. That's immaturity. That's infancy. That's selfishness. That's like little babies. I want this. Give me this. This is what I want. No, he's no, take it away. I don't want him anymore. That's not marriage. That's called selfishness and immaturity and egotism, if you ask me. That ain't God's view of marriage. 
Because if you go to God's view of marriage, it is the exact opposite of everything I just said. God's view of marriage is not selfish, it is selfless. God's view of marriage is not all about me, it's actually all not about you. And actually, one of the things that I say in every wedding ceremony that I officiate, whenever I say it, and people laugh, ha, 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 I ain't being funny, I'm being serious. I say every marriage, if you are not ready to die, you are not ready to get married. And people, ha, 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 yeah, that's right, that's carry my cross, and she's gonna martyr her. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, if you are not ready to die, and I, you know what I always say? I say every wedding is actually a funeral. And I don't mean it to be funny. Of course, people laugh, then I explain it. But you know what I also, I also say after that? Every funeral is also a wedding. But we'll leave that to another time. But every wedding is a funeral. And if you ain't ready to die, you ain't ready to get married. You think that you are getting married so someone will serve you hand and foot? Husbands, you think you're getting married so someone will bring you your slippers and bring you your newspaper, bring you a cup of coffee and serve you hand and foot? Ladies, does he have something else coming to him? Yes, he does. Ladies, you think you're getting married, so you're just going to have be swept off your feet every day, and you're going to wake up, and he's going to make you breakfast in bed, he's going to kiss you and hug you and tell you that you're the best in the whole wide world every single day? You got something else coming to you. Marriage is not about me being happy. Never says that in the scriptures. Marriage is actually the exact opposite. Marriage is to teach you that life is not about you. Marriage is to teach you how to serve one another. Marriage is to teach you how to deny yourself and lay down your life for the sake of somebody other than yourself. It's the exact opposite of everything that the world teaches us today. Someone coined the phrase that marriage is not to make you happy. Marriage is to make you holy. Marriage is not to make you happy. Marriage is to make you holy. And part of the process of marriage is actually to sanctify you and to make you into a better person. Because when you are single and you have annoying habits, and what happens is I'm single and I'm hanging out with these guys and I'm annoying and they're annoying. So what do we do? We just hang out with someone else. I'm annoying him, so he just goes to his house and go to my house. And that's it. He annoys me, so I just say thank you very much, and I send him away. But what happens when we get married? There ain't nobody, no place to send her. She lives in the same house, in the same room. There ain't no place to send her. So I got two choices. I got two choices. I look in the mirror, and I say to myself, you have flaws. Fix those flaws. And you know what else? You know the other option? I look at her and say, she has flaws. Get rid of her. And that's what we people do. It's never, I need to be more patient. It's, I need a wife who talks less. It's never, I need to nag less. It's never that. It's, I need a husband who listens. Maybe the best thing for you is that your husband doesn't listen to you. Maybe the best thing for you is that your wife does talk. Because maybe it's trying to expose something inside you that's wrong. When I see this, and then some people say, yeah, the homosexual marriage, they've ruined the picture of marriage. Man, they didn't ruin the picture of marriage. We did. We're the ones who took marriage, and we took God's view of marriage, and we ran it through the trash. And we spit on it, and we did whatever we want. And then they picked up a little piece of it. The same-sex marriage picked up. We say, look, they ruined marriage. They're the reason all the kids are corrupt and on drugs. That ain't the reason. We're the reason that marriage is bad. Let's see what God says about marriage. I got you a nice quote here. It's kind of long, so stick with me here. From one of the church fathers, his name is Tertullian, okay? And he was so cool, he only had one name, just Tertullian, okay? Kind of like Madonna, just one name, all right? <laughs> Listen to how he speaks about marriage in God's eyes. He says, how beautiful then, the marriage of two Christians, two who are one in hope, one in desire, one in the way of life they follow, one in the religion they practice, they are as brother and sister, both servants of the same master. Nothing divides them, either in flesh 
or in spirit. They are in very truth, two in one flesh. And where there is but one flesh, there is but also but one spirit. How beautiful these words. Kiki keeps going. Watch this. And compare this to the view of marriage and society. They pray together. They worship together. They fast together. Instructing one another. Encouraging one another. Strengthening one another. Side by side, they face difficulties and persecution. They share consolation. They have no secrets from one another. They never shun each other's company. They never bring sorrow to each other's hearts. Psalms and hymns, they sing to one another. Hearing and seeing this, Christ rejoices. To such as these, he gives his peace. Where there are two together, there, he is also, there also he is present. And where he is, there evil is not. Man, I read that. That is so beautiful. Isn't that beautiful? Like, isn't that exactly why we got married? Isn't that exactly why we want, or singles, why we want to get married? Exactly that. Two, one, pray together, support each other, encourage each other, like all together. Compare that to the picture of marriage that we see outside today. You know what happens when we, when we take that and we destroy that? We have a society today. Number one, the most depressed society ever. Look at the suicide rates. Most miserable, like, quality of life people. Meaning, go take a, a survey of marital satisfaction. People who are not divorced, okay, churchgoers, fine. I'm not just saying whether they do. I'm saying satisfaction in their marriage. You will never find an era, a civilization, with a lower satisfaction level of marriage. You will never find more time where single people are afraid to get married than you find today. Afraid to get married because of what we've done to the picture of marriage. Easy to blame the rest of the world for it. I say we, we need to repent because part of the reason why marriage has been corrupted in our society is our fault. Enough. Can we agree? Enough. Enough. We need a whole marriage of what it is. And marriage in God's eyes is something really high. And we need to stop the marriage jokes about like, uh, you know, carry my cross. Yeah, her name is Marianne. You know, like we need to stop those kinds of things. We need to stop that every, hey, how's that pain in, in your back? Oh, it's not as bad as the pain in my neck. You know, I mean, she lives with me, you know. We need to stop those jokes. We need to stop talking about marriage as if it is like the greatest misery in our lives. We need to stop ruining the view of marriage for the rest of the world out there, for our children, for the singles in this church. For in our, we need to stop it. Because I don't think God is going to be happy with what we've done to the picture of marriage. But we can fix it. And the fixing it begins today. Marriage. I'm going to give you one sentence to describe to you my view of marriage. And I will break it down. Marriage is a sacred mystery. You're going to memorize by, this, by the end. Marriage is a sacred mystery created and designed by God for the, satisfa for, the, I'm sorry, for the salvation and fulfillment of mankind. We're going to break that sentence out. Don't worry, you're going to need to write it down. I'm going to say it like 15 times by the time we finish. Let's start with the first part that I said. Letter A on your handout. What is marriage? Marriage is a sacred mystery. Marriage is a sacred mystery. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, St. Paul says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What is a mystery? See, when we say 
a mystery. In the Orthodox Church, we don't just mean something spooky like a haunted house. We don't just mean something like, like David Copperfield, abracadabra, like pull a quarter from behind your ear. We don't just mean it's something weird. Mystery for us has a very specific meaning. Like we, we understand the word mystery in a very specific way. A mystery is another word for sacrament. Really, sacrament is another word for mystery. Mystery is like the original. A mystery, so let's forget about marriage for a second. I say, this is a mystery. You would say, okay, we're talking about baptism where someone is buried with Christ and rises to new life. I say, this is a mystery. I say, oh, that's shown by the Eucharist, where a piece of bread comes in and turns into the body of Christ. And we believe that, and we participate in that bread and that wine, we participate in the body and blood of Christ. I say mystery. And you say, oh, I understand mystery. You're talking about confession, where I go in full of sins, and I confess my sins, and I come out whiter than snow. Now I understand mystery. And I say to you, marriage is a mystery. You say, okay, I understand how this works. Marriage is a mystery means, forgive me with all due respect, no court can legislate a mystery. No court, no matter what a court says, they cannot legislate a mystery. A court cannot say, yeah, this biscuit here, you, that's communion from now on. Oh, you could say that's communion, but that ain't communion. You could say, okay, any hot tub of water, then just dunk them in there and that's baptism. And they, you could say that if you want, but that doesn't make it true. No marriage, I'm sorry, no court, no society, no politician can tell me what marriage is. And by the same token, watch out for this one. In the same way that a court cannot make a marriage, a court cannot dissolve a marriage either. A court cannot undo what God has done. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 19. He said, let not man separate what God has joined together. No court can make what God didn't make and no court can undo what God did make. Nobody can do that because marriage isn't a man-made thing. It's a God thing. It's a sacramental thing. So say what you want about it. Do what you want. Our understanding, of mar- our understanding of marriage is that it's not a, it's not something to be discussed amongst us. It's not a toy. It's not like an agreement. It's not a contract. We don't believe in marriage as a contract. That's why also, by the way, in the Orthodox Church, we don't have wedding vows. No vows. The vow isn't from man to woman. The vow is from God to man and man to God. That's the vow. Okay, there's no such thing as, 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 we don't play around with marriage as a human institution. Marriage is something godly something divine, something in heaven. It's something like Eucharist. It's something like baptism. It's something like, like, like sacrament of confession. Like it's something big. And we don't view it in anything less than that. We view when I take communion, I enter the life of Christ at the last supper. I take communion. I'm at the last supper. I receive the body and blood. We view when I participate in baptism, I'm in the tomb with Christ. I'm buried three days. I come out We believe when we confess, we're at the cross of Christ. All of the mysteries are participation in the life of Christ. We believe when there's marriage, God is present and God wants them together. He wants them. He unites them. He makes two into one. No court has the power to dictate or legislate that. I don't care what anybody says. Marriage is a sacred mystery. Marriage is a sacred mystery, B, that was created and designed by God that was created and designed by God. We're going to go back to the original design here. We're going to go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 when God created marriage. Forgive me for the picture up there. It's kind of cartoony. Every picture I wanted to show of Adam and Eve in creation at the beginning was not uh, PG-13. Okay? It was not appropriate to be shown. Okay? So it just went straight cartoon. No innuendos, no nothing like that. Okay. 
But that's what I want to go back to. I want to go back to pre the fall when marriage first started. So we're going back to the very, very, very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, in case you haven't read it, it's on page 1 of your Bible. In case you haven't seen it, God creates everything. And God creates the sun, and he creates the moon, he creates the stars, he creates the rivers, he creates the mountains, he creates the rocks, he creates the bugs, he creates everything, 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 everything. And then God creates marriage. First creation that God made for his prized possession was marriage. But before he did that, after God created everything, after God created everything, before he created marriage, it says it this way. It says, and the Lord God said, so this is again at the tail end, created the rocks, the stars, the moon, uh, everything, 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 everything. And then it says, and the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Why I point out this verse is one of the most important verses, especially for marriage. Because it says that God created a world, and he started first with Adam. And Adam in that world had no job. There had no boss breathing down his neck. He had no, uh, there was no traffic. There was no uh, violence. There was no hatred. There was no problems in the whole wide world. All the things that we husbands say that if we just had the world like this, they would get rid of them wives because they just make our lives miserable. And we just need peace. And we just need my boss to get, we don't need any of that stuff because we had a perfect world. And in that perfect world, man was not good. In a society where everything was good, man was not good. Because man was missing something. Man was missing a helper comparable to him. And don't get tripped up by this word, helper comparable. All right? Because that is not in any way a demeaning word. We may look at that way and say it's a demeaning. It's not a demeaning word in any way. And I'll show you that in a little bit. All right? When, when God talks about that a little bit more. So God looks and says, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is not good. Man is in a state of not good. So what does God do? Verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam and see what he would call them. And Adam called each living creature that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Second time we see that phrase. We'll talk about it in a little bit. And the Lord God, caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made it into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Again, get the context right here. There's Adam, and he's alone, and he's kind of sad. So God says, Okay, don't worry. Let's make some animals. And God tried. Made him a dog. Made him a cat, a giraffe, or whatever it may be. And he brought them one by one. I, I actually, I think he made them two by two, to be honest. I'm not sure why. Okay, go back to this verse right here. What he would call them. So God brought two. And he brought a boy dog and a girl dog. And Adam said, dog. Okay, and then sh ship, ship them to the side. Uh, cat, boy cat, girl cat. Boy horse, girl horse. Boy rhinoceros, girl rhinoceros. Like all of them one right there. And he was teaching Adam a lesson. See, Adam, how there's a boy and a girl. See how there's a boy and a girl. Each one has a partner. So Adam looked around and said, well, I don't have one of those. Like the dog had a partner. The cat had a partner. The giraffe, even the monkey had a partner. But I don't got a partner. God said, okay, now you're getting this. So Adam, take a nap. Because I'm going to do something great. I need you out of the way. Have a, take, take a seat right here. And he put Adam to sleep. While Adam was asleep, he took one of his ribs, 
made into woman. And then it says, I love how it says, he brought her to the man. So I, here's how I picture. I picture God as a big guy, okay? And like he got Eve behind his back right here. He's like, Adam, got something for you. Wake up. And Adam's like, five more minutes, Bob, please. No, 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 Adam, trust me on this one. Trust me. So Adam wakes up and he goes, voila. And there's Eve, not in her wedding dress, but in her birthday suit. And what does Adam say? He says, this is now, just to understand the, pro, like, to understand the way Moses wrote it in the Hebrew right here. This is now was an expression, is one word, which is the equivalent of saying like, this is now. Like, wow. Like, yes. Like, this is it. Woohoo! is how I would translate in the modern Father Anthony translation of the Bible. And he said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and I got the best name for her. I am man, she is, whoa, man. And Adam was now complete. Adam was now complete because he had a helper comparable to him. That's why now Moses gives his kind of interpretation over here. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Did Adam create marriage? Was marriage Adam's idea? Whose idea was marriage? God's idea. And God said, Adam, you don't know what you need. So you take a nap and I will solve your problem for you because you cannot figure this one out yourself. What you need is a helper comparable to you. Two words, helper and comparable. Just to show you, it's not in a demeaning way at all. And some, some people mistakenly interpret this in a derogatory way. And it, it's, it's, it couldn't be further from the truth because who in the scripture is referred to as the helper? The Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says the Holy Spirit is the helper, it is not in a demeaning way whatsoever. Whatsoever. It's in fact the exact opposite. It's in an elevating kind of a way. And the word comparable, okay? I'll tell you a better way. Comparable, suitable. Literally, when he says a helper comparable, it means someone that fits. Spiritually, emotionally, and yes, ladies and gentlemen, physically, man and woman fit. That's why some people say, well, you know what? It could have been a man and a man. That God created, could have created just two men or could have created two women. It's arbitrary, he created a man and a woman. You cannot read the story of creation and tell me anything was arbitrary. The God said, yeah, I could have made two men, but I decided, like, flip a coin, okay, it's a woman, okay, make a woman. But it's no difference. There's no difference between a man and a woman. There's no difference. You cannot tell me that anything was done arbitrarily because then you could just make that up for anything. God created and said there should be a man and a woman, and each one has a role, and they two fit together. Earlier in Genesis chapter 1, okay, God said it this way says, when God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, so God created man in his own image, man being like mankind. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. Very specific. What I'm trying to say is God had a plan. God had a master plan that for society, for man, for everything to be complete, there's one of these and one of these. And the way marriage was made was like two puzzle pieces. You can look at it and say, it's discrimination. All the puzzle pieces should be the kind that look this way. Okay, that's fine. 
and you could say that, but it ain't going to fit. And you could try to make them fit, and you can legislate that they fit, that's fine. I got no problem with that. We abide by the laws of our country. I'm not saying that we should burn the Supreme Court. I'm not saying it that way. I'm saying you try to make it fit, it ain't going to fit. You can try to make it fit. You have that right, but it ain't going to fit. Because the way God made marriage is just three parties. There's a God, and there's a man, and there's a woman. And if any of these three is not in the picture, it is not complete. If man is not there, if woman is not there, and yes, Christians who used to be hypocrites before this, if God is not there, it's not complete. So again, the marriage that says, you know what? That, you know, the way we do it, we don't abide by God's rules. By, by God's rules. That marriage is not complete either. For us to say that it makes no difference whether it's man and a man or woman and a woman or man, for us to say that is so ridiculous. You know what that is? Forgive me. You know what that is? That's a child. And you go to a child and you say, one plus one equals two. They say, why does one plus one equal have to two? Have to equal two. Why does it have to equal two? It equals two. No, I don't believe it equals two. Why does it have to equal two? I can make it equal three. You can say what you want to say. But in the end, one plus one equals two. And to question God, to say, no, God, marriage between man and man and woman and woman and man and woman is the same. You can say that all you want, but it ain't true. And the way that we approach God with arrogant mentality where he says, this is how marriage is, and we say, no, we want it to be this way. That's not going to be good in the end. That's not going to be good. All right? So number one, marriage is a what? If I said, what is marriage? Marriage is a sacred mystery. Say it all together. Marriage is a sacred mystery. And then someone says, okay, well, where did marriage come from? Marriage is a sacred mystery that was created and designed by God, not by the courts. Marriage is a sacred mystery. It was created and designed by God. Now the important question, what's the purpose of marriage? For what? Why did God create marriage? Why did God create this thing? What's its benefit? Well, I say that marriage is for the salvation and fulfillment of mankind. Marriage is for the salvation and fulfillment of mankind. And you may want to substitute the word mankind with your own name in there because you're part of mankind. And I believe that when God brought me and this lady Marianne together and brought us together, I believe 100% it's for my salvation of my soul. And I believe it's for the salvation of her soul. Because we are defining the word salvation not as a ticket to heaven. We've discussed this before. Salvation, what's another word that we can substitute salvation? It's healing. It's for the healing of my soul. Because me and you have things that are broken inside of us. And whether you like it or not, whether you like it or not, if you are a Christian, you believe what I'm about to say, whether you like it or not. That the person that you wake up next to in the morning, God brought you that person to make you healed. That very person that you think is breaking you, God brought you that person to heal you. And we need to stop resisting that healing and embrace that, that God is going to use that person to heal me. And not only to heal me, but also, as you see, to fulfill me. Like marriage is not just, I don't want to just take it from the perspective of I'm, unsel I'm selfish, so marriage is to make me unselfish. No, no, no. Yes, that's, that's true. But marriage is to more than that. It's to complete me, to fulfill me, to give me satisfaction at a physical level, at an emotional level and at a spiritual level that I could never have outside. This is the part that so many people miss out on. And because they miss out on this, this idea that a godly marriage is for your salvation and your fulfillment, they miss out on both of them. 
on the process of being healed and more importantly, on the process of being truly happy. Like truly happy. Like we want someone to make us happy and we think we know what's gonna make us happy. Well, God knows what's gonna really make us happy. Like we want someone to be our, our, our companion for life. Well, God knows what really we need to have a companion for life, to have a support for life, to have an encouragement for life. And that only happens when we abide by God's rules of marriage. I said earlier that marriage is a, is a mystery, is a sacrament. Well, let's go over all the other sacraments. Okay, leave marriage aside. Why do we have the Eucharist? Why? Why do we have baptism? What's the benefit of it? To make me happy? Hey, I'm bored. Let's go to confession. Is that why we have sacrament of confession? We don't have sacrament of confession because it makes us happy. But we have it because it makes us healed. Because it fixes something inside of us that's broken. We don't have communion because we're bored and we say, hey, the church has cool snacks on Sundays. Let's go. We go and we receive because that's our fulfillment. That's our satisfaction. That's our nourishment in life. Marriage is the same way. Remove from your mind that marriage is just to make you happy. Remove from your mind that marriage is just to make you feel good right now, right here, right exactly where I am. Marriage is to make you like Christ. Marriage is to make you like Christ, like all the other sacraments, to make you into his image. Got you here some quotes right here. And these quotes are incredible because they're written by single people, not by married people. St. John Chrysostom, church father lived in the fourth century. The goal of marriage is that man and woman should become one in the image of the Holy Trinity, who three persons are essentially united in love. Why is marriage a trinity? Because it's God, man, and woman. And when we marry, we enter into something mystical, image of the Trinity. Second one here. When husband and wife are united in marriage, they are no longer seen as something earthly, but as the image of God himself. Last quote here is from more of a modern father from Russia, who I'm not even trying to pronounce his last name. All right. He says this, in marriage, the human person is transfigured. He overcomes his loneliness and egocentrism. His personality is completed and perfected. A full transformation of the human person takes place. The enlargement of his personality, new eyes, new perception of life, birth into the world by means of it in new fullness. Means he enters the world after marriage in a new way. He's a new person. Before marriage, the human person glides above life, seeing it from the outside. Only in marriage is he fully immersed into it. And if you're married, you might understand what that means. And enters into it through another person. This enjoyment of true knowledge and true life gives us feeling that of complete fullness and satisfaction, which renders us richer and wiser. And this fullness is even deepened when out of the two of us, united and reconciled, a third appears, our child. That's some deep, deep, deep stuff. Am I talking about homosexual marriage? No, I am not. I am talking about God's plan for marriage. And any distortion of this, of this, any distortion of this is outside of God's plan. Be it same-sex marriage, outside of God's plan. That's why we're not telling people, I spoke about this last week, we're not saying same-sex marriage is bad, God will judge you. I'm saying you are missing out on God's plan for your marriage. And you're missing out in the same way that someone who believes in premarital sex is missing out. You, you're, you're missing out in the same way that someone who believes that he can have a best friend who's a lady and that's not his wife. You're missing out in the same way. You're missing out in the same way as a husband who believes that it is his God-given responsibility to make sure that his wife doesn't get the affection that she deserves, desires. You're missing out in the same way of what God has planned for your marriage. That's why what we need to do is we need to repent. 
We need to repent, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to remind ourselves of what marriage is, and we need to start to show the world what true marriage is, because if we, the church, are not going to show people what marriage is, they ain't never going to find out. Next week, we're off here, okay? We don't have the well, because we have the, a, a special service that morning, all right? So the well, we won't have the well next week. The week after that, we're going to start a five-week, a six-week series, and it's called Real Talk, Adventures in Love sex, and dating. And we're going to have a five-week discussion with a six-week, kind of like a six-week would be a lot of fun, but a five-week discussion about what marriage truly is. And I'm going to, I know a lot of people here are married, all right? I know a lot of our singles are out of town, all right? We're going to be speaking very directly to the singles. I'm going to be speaking very directly to the singles. All right, I'm going to be talking very, very clearly because what I discovered, and you married people, you all agree with me too, is a lot of things that we were taught about marriage are wrong. And we made mistakes. And we care about our singles so much that we don't want them to make the same mistakes. So we want to show them from our experience and tell them that we entered marriage with these preconceived ideas. And we had no idea what we were doing. Because you'd be surprised the number of things that are commonly believed today by our young single people that couldn't be further from the truth. And just for you thinking, well, I'm married, what am I doing this series? Oh, don't worry. We'll get you married people in the series, but we'll do it in an indirect kind of a way. So I'll say things like, I won't give it away now, but I'll say, you singles, make sure that you don't do this because then you'll get married and you'll say this and you'll blame your spouse for this, okay? And of course, all the marriage people know that. Well, I'll be like, yeah, of course we knew that. Don't blame spouse. So don't worry, it'll be uh, equally applicable here, but we give them singles a little bit of extra love because we love them. And because marriage is too great for them to walk in and believe these things which are taught as inalienable rights in society is too great for them to go in and believe in these lies. I got one more quote right here, but this quote is not from an ancient church father, kind of a modern day church father, okay? We're gonna watch a little video clip right here. All right, so I'm gonna ask the people who can dim the lights for me to help me dim these lights. And before I, I, I show this video, okay, this video is someone who um, I admire uh, tremendously. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. Someone who I, just, uh, just real quick, uh, someone who I admire tremendously, all right, and I don't want you to be distracted, like, if I, if I kind of give him a little intro, like, he's, like, very eloquent, okay, and he's very uh, wise, and, like, he's stunningly handsome as well, so don't be distracted by that, okay? Just try to listen to what he has to say. Ever since I, uh, probably since I entered college, everyone has been telling me that there's no one better than Mary Ann Jacob. There's no one better than Mary Ann Jacob. And I always knew that. And um, I consider myself very lucky and very blessed. Because whenever I pray to God, I just pray that he would do what's best for me. So I feel like God has answered my prayer, you know, a, a thousand times over by, you know, giving me the honor and the blessing of being able to marry Mary Ann. When I think about our life together in the future, all I think of is peace and happiness. Um, being with someone who is so dedicated to God and to serving Him and to living a godly life. Um, there's one thing I could never ask any more for in a person is that desire to reach the kingdom of heaven. 
and Marianne not only wants to get there herself, but she's uh, bringing me along for the ride. So I thank God and I thank her. Um, something I uh, told Mike at the very beginning of our relationship, we were talking about role models, and I told him that even though me and him never talked in college or before, that he's always been my role model, kind of a like a hidden role model, and he really has. I used to always kind of, like, whatever he was doing, he went to Africa. I thought that was amazing. The next year I went to Africa. And I kind of always followed in his footsteps, and he graduated a year before me. And when I saw his zeal for service and how amazing he was and how amazing um, his life at church was, it seemed incredible to me. Uh, I wanted that for myself, and I definitely, you know, there was no romantic interest, but I just thought he was the most amazing Christian in the world, and uh, I never, ever, ever, ever did think we'd get together, ever, at that time, because um, I thought he was going to be the next pope, and uh, he hated girls, and I thought he was going to marry Caitlin, <laughs> too, but um, I just thought he was an incredible person, so... Um, I definitely feel very, very honored to be his wife, or soon-to-be wife, and I'm very, 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 very thankful to God for this relationship because um, from day one I could feel that it was God who picked out Mike for me and it was God who moved us, you know, towards every step, towards engagement and towards marriage and it was definitely not human planning and it kind of taught me that those who wait on the Lord he will he will give them the desires of their heart and that's how I felt with Mike and with this relationship eat your hearts out ladies that guy's taken eat your hearts out <laughs> stunning stunning young man that guy was stunning. as a sharp dressed man that that's marriage okay that and she was beautiful of course as well but she's always beautiful okay so that's marriage and i'm not trying to say that i was something special i'm not saying i'm saying that the way what i what that that video was before we got married and they did like this little video thing and and just to y'all appreciate it, if it was a little fuzzy you know why it's fuzzy because it was something called a vhs Okay, and I had to order this thing and get a rush ship from Amazon to convert VHS. Like it was a big process. Okay, but we were able to to save that little piece of video. They, we were asked a question. The question that we were asked for, we answered that, was what are you looking forward to in marriage, and why is it that you want to marry this person? And I'm and again, I'm not saying about me. I'm saying that the way what was in our mind is what I hope is in everyone else's mind. You didn't hear two people saying, "I want to be happy." You didn't hear two people saying this person, like you didn't hear anything. What you heard there is saying that marriage is something sacred and this person is going to help me to have a God-centered marriage. And that is my prayer for our society is that we get rid of this man-centered view of it's all about me. Let's say this together. Read it with me. Marriage is a sacred mystery. Say it all together from the start, all together. Marriage is a sacred mystery created and designed by God for the salvation and fulfillment of mankind. That's what we need to go out in the world. And let me tell you why it's so important that we go out today with this more than ever. Because like I said at the beginning, 
The world is talking about marriage more than ever before. You're going to show up tomorrow to work, and people at the water cooler, everyone's talking about marriage. Marriage here and marriage there. We need to be ready to show the world that marriage is the greatest thing, that it is no more the butt of all our jokes. Marriage is something that we elevate, and we don't joke about it anymore because marriage is a sacred mystery, and it's something created and designed by God. And if we go by the rules that God created for it, then it will lead to our salvation and our fulfillment more than anything else in this world. I'm telling you, it's what I told you all last week, that I actually think I'm, I'm encouraged and excited by the Supreme Court ruling that allowed same-sex marriage. I know that sounds weird for me to say because I'm obviously opposed to same-sex marriage based on everything I'm saying right here. But what I am excited about is the world today, there's e it's never been an easier time to talk to people about marriage. The subject is no more taboo. It's no, like it's on the forefront of everyone's mind. And the other thing that I believe very, very, very strongly, very, 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 very strongly, is that you will never be satisfied by marriage outside of God's plan. So it's kind of like the old, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And you know how when you have little kids, you say, no, you can't play with this toy. No, I need that toy, I need that toy. Okay, here's the toy. Okay, I don't want the toy anymore. That's exactly what's gonna happen with this same-sex marriage thing. A lot of people are out there gonna get exactly what they wish for. And I'm not saying it in a bad way, like I'm not wishing evil upon them, but I'm saying they're gonna have what they asked for, and they're not gonna be fulfilled. And then here we are as the church. How are we gonna respond? You know what we're gonna do? We're going to be ready to put our arms around people and say, let me show you what marriage truly can be. We're not going to condemn. We're not going to say, ha ha, I told you so. Any more than we're going to say that to people who have sex before marriage. We say, ha ha, I told you so. You'll never be happy. We're going to put our arms around people. And we're going to love people. And we're going to say, hey, you made a mistake. Let me show you. Let me help you get to where God wants you to get to. Because I promise you that when you do this marriage thing right, man, it is something up here. Because marriage is, remind me again, what is marriage? Marriage is... Marriage is, say again, marriage is sacred mystery. Where did marriage come from? Marriage was? What's the purpose of marriage? Let's stand up and say a prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of marriage that you've given to us. A gift, Lord, that you gave to us to fulfill us, to unite us with you, Lord, forgive us for, for running the picture of marriage through the dirt. Forgive us for making fun of it. Forgive us for lowering what the world thinks about marriage with the way that we treated it. I pray, Lord, that you would change not our behavior today, but our belief about what marriage is and what it can be. And for those who are single, Lord, I pray that you'd get rid of like the fear that they have of marriage and that you would encourage them that marriage can be the best thing. And those who are here who are married and who can't believe that their specific marriage can ever be good, can ever make them happy, Lord. I, I pray you'd give them like a new hope that when they go with your rules and they go with your system of marriage, that you can make anything great, Lord. Lord, you, your specialty is taking bad things and making them good. And I pray, Lord, that you would elevate our view of marriage, our country's view of marriage. Anyone who has a wrong view of what marriage is and can be, I pray, Lord, that you would heal that and that you would show us what it can be in your eyes. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom.